You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. Say it's good to be on Union Road uh, this afternoon. Thank you for coming to public worship today. And uh, I bring you the New Year greetings from the folk in Kalnati and in Swatra congregations up in the the tip arm of the Presbyterian. We're out in the limb out there, but it's good to be out there. So uh, thank you for coming today. I've entitled this sermon this morning, or this afternoon rather, The Call of Christ. What's God's call on your life? What's God's call on my life? I worked as a Belfast City missionary for nine and a half years. And the last year or year and a half, I became really discontented. You know when you're discontented, but you just can't quite put your finger on why it is. I couldn't figure out what was going on with me. I was really disconcerting. And yet God was calling me to somewhere else. And effectively what I was saying to him was, no, I'm not going there. And there was a man who used to work in the city mission who I thank God so much for. He was a school teacher in a previous life. And he rang me up one day and he said, John, I need to talk to you. Now, when an ex-school teacher rings you up to speak to you about something that they need to talk to you about, do you feel as though you're going to get wrapped over the knuckles? And he says to me down the phone, he says, I have something to tell you. He says, what is it? He says, you need to go to Union College. You need to train as a Presbyterian minister. And I burst out laughing. I says, your head's cut. I says, you're not wise. And look where I am today. He was right. God was right. Yours truly was wrong. Very much wrong. And if it had been down to me, I still would have been working in East Belfast. I still would have been plodding away on the doors in that part of Belfast, saying, no, Lord, no, Lord, no, Lord. Let me stay here. I'm comfortable. I'm I'm okay. Leave me alone. Let me get on with it. But that's not what God was calling me to do. And I was quite uncomfortable for a long period of time. And you know something, folks, that didn't do me a button of harm. You see, in Scripture, Jesus calls us so many times to speak of him, to witness to others, to search for him, to humbly serve him in every aspect of our lives. And we find in Scripture that Jesus called 12 men. He called them to witness through their daily tasks to people who had not heard the gospel. To leave behind what they were doing, to move on from the mundane things of the mundane days and to move into a type of service that they were being called to, that Jesus was calling them into. And we know Many of the disciples were fishermen and they had to leave their nets behind. They had to leave their families behind. They had to leave everything that they ever accomplished and knew behind them 
in order to move into this service that God was calling them to in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. Another example. Calls out to Saul on the road to Damascus, a man he was going to smash every Christian or every believer that he could get his hands on. And God speaks to him. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He called him. He called him from what he was minded to do, and he called him into something that was totally outside of his uh, mind and thoughts and heart. He called him into his own will. And yet, if it had been down to Saul, Saul said no. If it had been down to me, folks, in East Belfast, I was saying no all the time. How often do we say no to God? How often have you said no to God? How often do I say no to God? No, Lord, I'm comfortable, so don't call me. No, Lord, I'm too busy. I have far too much to do. I have this on next week, that on the following week. I don't have time to do this. No, I'm too busy. Or like Jonah. And God calls to him really very carefully and he says, look, arise, go cry. And Jonah arises and goes, but doesn't go the right direction. I'm not prepared to go. I'm not prepared to do. I'm not prepared to arise and go and cry. And you see, what Jesus does and did do and does do Amongst his people that he met, he caused them to go, to do, and to serve. That's really vital, folks. The call of Christ. The call of Christ, folks, is irresistible. And so there's three things that I want to look at in the short space of time that we have today. I want to look at the work that Jesus did, the witness that Jesus displayed, and the third thing will be the word that Jesus discerned. It's the first thing, the work that he actually did. It says, and Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. What did he go out to do? Well, he went to do a work of grace. He went to do a work that he was willing to be involved in. He was willing to be the colonel of. He gave up the very splendor of the throne room of heaven itself, and he came to do what we cannot do for ourselves. Whether you're sitting here this morning, you're online, you listen to it later, wherever you happen to be, Jesus was willing to go. And where does he go? Well, Matthew's gospel tells us in chapter 9, 35 following, that he goes out into the world. That he goes out into the cities. He goes out into the villages. He goes to the street corners. He goes to the front doors. He goes to the back doors. He goes even to the synagogue. Why does he go to the synagogue? Well, he goes to the synagogue to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom and to heal disease and every affliction. He was willing to go, folks. What he was going to do had eternal warrant placed upon it. You see, it was Jesus' destiny to do the will of the Father who 
sent him. He didn't come to do his own will. He came to accomplish what God had sent him to do. And so he went to the cities and he went to the towns and he went to every given place that he was sent to. And he proclaimed the gospel. And he healed every disease and every affliction. From the sight of the blind to the hearing of the deaf to the lameness of the person who could no longer walk, he healed all of those things. But he also came primarily and most importantly to heal us from our sin. That's why this has a stamp of authority. This is why this is warranted. He was willing. What he came to do had a warrant to it. God sent him. And the work that Jesus did was also worthwhile because it had marvelous consequences. Not only for the people in Christ's day, but for you and for me and for everybody around here as well. Why has it got marvelous consequences? Well, you see, this gospel of the kingdom changes us, transforms us, renews us, encourages us, chastises us, challenges us, lifts us up, pulls us back down to earth, does all the things that we cannot do for ourselves, folks. And so Jesus went to all of these places and did all of this work because he loves us. Even when we're totally unlovely, That's the work that he did, a work of salvation, a work of grace, a work of renewal, a work of total transformation. It's a bit like going on a journey somewhere and you get to a T-junction and you go, should I go right, should I go left? You go right, you go the wrong way, you have to do a U-turn and go left again. You get the crossroads of our lives, folks, and we need to do that U-turn. We need to turn around from where we have been. That's what Jesus came to proclaim in the gospel. So there's work that he did then. There was the witness that he displayed. What did he go to do when he went out to do it? It says, when he saw the crowds, verse 36, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus was watchful about what he was going to do. He didn't just see the superficial. You see, the world that we're living in where image is really important, where instantaneous satisfaction is really vital for most people, where you press a button and something happens instantaneously. Jesus is not interested in that. He's not interested in what we look like on the outside, but he is totally interested in what your heart is like inside you, where your soul's going. And he sees the naked hearts of mankind, and he could see that these people that he had come across were helpless. They were harassed in their villages, in their towns, at their synagogue because they were surrounded by people who did not behave like shepherds. And Jesus was watchful of these things. He was watchful of the people who claimed to be shepherds, but they weren't. They were wolves, even in the synagogue, even in the place of worship, even amongst the religious elite. Jesus could see what their hearts were like. 
and he knew what their lives were like, and he knew their lives didn't measure up. He's watchful. But he's also winsome in the way that he responds to them because he loved those he sought to win. He says he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless. We're living in days of difficulty in our country and our world, days that none of us have ever experienced before, and days that many of us hope that we'll never experience again in the future. But this same Savior, Jesus Christ, experienced all manner of difficulty and problems, and yet he had compassion for those who were harassed and helpless. I remember walking down Botanic Avenue in Belfast one day and down past um, the um, Ulster Hall into Bedford Street, and there was a fella who would have been half my age sitting in a doorway with a cardboard box around him and a, and a, a beanie hat on. And I walked past, and I realized I need to go back, and I went back and I spoke to him. Because it's so easy just to walk on by so easy, folks, just to be like the Sadducees and the Pharisees who go past on the other side. But it's much more difficult to see, to identify, and to actually do something about it. And yet Jesus was the one who perfectly had compassion for those who were harassed and helpless. Because we're all harassed and we're all helpless, folks, we're helpless in this world and on eternity without his salvation. And what he imparts through this witness that he displays to those who were harassed and helpless is absolute, total, downright, perfect wisdom. You see, he reproved those who loved themselves rather than those who loved God. He reproved the people in the synagogue who should have known better, who should have known what it was to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. But yet those people who lived in that geographical area were still harassed and helpless because they had no shepherd. They had people who dressed in their finery. They were dressed in their robes. They loved to stand on the street corners and preach and, and pray very pious prayers. But yet, when it boiled down to it, there was nothing there, folks. There was no word of guidance or encouragement or help or support or challenge. And he saw these people who are like sheep without a shepherd. I played in pipe bands for about 20 years in competition and in other ways. And remember, maybe if we were out on a Sunday at a, a parade or something like that, on the, in the afternoon and you were up a country road and the sheep just ran the far corner of the, the field to get away from me because the, the, the noise for them is absolutely ungodly. Chris will know all about this. Um, and they, they run as far away as possible to get away. And you know something, in order to bring them back again, you need a shepherd and a sheepdog, a shepherd that understands them and a sheepdog that knows what it's doing. And see, we need a shepherd, folks, every day of our lives. We need a shepherd called Jesus Christ. There are many shepherds out there in the world. You'll hear of a shepherding system where people are, are caused within different denominations to do things that they other would not otherwise be doing. That's wrong. It's sinful. It's ungodly. But we need shepherds. And Jesus 
speaks to these disciples who are largely under shepherds, who are people under studies of the Savior, who are to go out and to shepherd the flock. That's what I'm called to do in Colnadium Swartwood, to pastor the flock, to shepherd them, to teach them, to listen to them, to take on board what they're saying, to digest it, to preach. That's what David and Dave here is going to be called to do in due season. To do here in Macrofelt, further afield, wherever it happens to be. And so the witness that Jesus displays then turns into the word that Jesus discerns because he turns from the harassed and the helpless and all those all round about him and he turns to the disciples, his understudies, and he says these words, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the labors, the people to do the graft, the people for the hard day's work are few. Because Jesus has deep understanding and a genuine understanding of the task that lay ahead of him. And he realized that the people to do the work were few and far between. You've always heard the phrase, always give a busy person more work to do because they'll get it done. Sometimes we're so busy, sometimes we meet ourselves coming back. And yet so often we are unavailable for a hard day's work in the harvest field, the spiritual harvest field, folks. Sometimes maybe we just come on a Sunday and we feed. We might even come on a Sunday night if we take the time to do so, and we, we feed a bit more, and then we go away the rest of the week, and we digest it. And then we come back the next week for the next installment, but in between, we're handless. We're not involved in the work at all. We're not involved in the work of Christ's kingdom because we are quite happy to feed and take in, but not actually give anything back. How many people do you know who are prepared to put their hand out and take, but not prepared to give? I know bucket loads of them. And the wealth of what this word that Jesus discerned for these men, these disciples, these under-shepherds, is full of genuine deep concern for them and also for the harassed and the hurting, and the ones afflicted, and the ones who had to this point been helpless, experiencing no compassion whatsoever. Not only was this a wealthy word, but it had weight to it. You see, because it brought for these disciples the greatest level of responsibility. No longer did they have a get-out clause. They were being taught by Jesus, and they were being taught by what he was going to say to them. And now they had a responsibility. The responsibility of preaching the gospel, not only from this pulpit, but in our lives day after day, is a responsibility, folks, that is a heavy one. And we're responsible for it. It's weighty. And Jesus called these disciples not just to be passive bystanders or observers of the word, but he says to them, look, the harvest, the spiritual harvest, not just the stuff we see around us in the supermarket or we have decorating our church buildings at harvest time, but the harvest out there in the world of individuals, of people who need to be saved is plentiful. That means there's no limit to it. But the people to do the work are few and far between. Therefore, Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors unto his harvest. You see, folks, 
not only is there weight to this word that Jesus discerned, but we also find that there is worthship to it. Because Christ is worthy totally and completely of our praise, of our acceptance, and then of our application. That means we can't take God's Word and just think about it and listen to it and wonder about what it actually says. We then need to go and do something with it. Did you ever go out and buy a coat and never wear it? Did you ever go and buy a sat-nav and never use it? At least your one's fixed now. Would you ever set a set of drums at the front and not use them? They're just there as an ornament? Don't think so. So why do we take God's word so lightly? Why do, we, why do we digest it and then say, well, that's actually for somebody else. That's not really for me. Why do we do that? Why do we say to ourselves, well, public worship isn't really important and I'll just not bother going. Now, things are different at the minute, I understand. I was at a, a Presbyterian Tyrone meeting in First Cookstown and your minister is the, the moderator of Presbyterian. He's doing a cracker job. Um, and he asked a question. He says, how are you all getting on? And Donkey John puts his hand up at the back, as per usual. It was like college all over again. Always had the hand up at the start. And Stafford Carson was afraid of what I was going to say sometimes. Hand up in the air. And I said, there's three different types of folk out there the minute that I'm experiencing. There's those who are worried and anxious and afraid and harassed and helpless, just like we see in Matthew 9. There are those who have maybe somebody at home and are not being able to be at public worship because of other circumstances. But he says, there's also those who become disconnected, those who are, to quote a Belfastism, swinging the lead. They're saying, I've sort of got out of the way. I'll not bother going back. One of the professors in uh, Westminster Theological Seminary in the United States in Philadelphia has written a pamphlet called The Protestant Apocalypse. And what he argues in it is Dr. Truman says that uh, with the coronavirus thing, it has hastened the decline of the church at least in a visible sense, um, by about 10 years. But you know something, folks? There's still a harvest out there. But the folk to go out and do a good hard day's work in it are so few and far between. That's why we need to be at prayer. And that's why our prayers need to be earnest in their content and in their delivery. And who are we praying to? the Lord who controls the harvest, to garner together and to send out laborers into this productive field of service. If it had been down to me, I would still have been working in Ballybean City Mission. It wasn't down to me. It was down to the Savior. It was down to the Lord. When that man came and spoke to me and says, you need to go and do, and I laughed, I laughed a hearty big laugh. He was right. God definitely was right. And I was wrong. What is the call of Christ? Folks, there's a work to be done. There's a witness to display. And there's a word, God's word, to be discerned, to be disseminated. 
and to be delivered to those out there who don't know the gospel. Maybe there's somebody in here this morning and you're not actually a believer, you're not born again, you're not saved. Maybe there's somebody watching online who's listening to us and you're sitting in the house and you're thinking to yourself, well, neither am I. Well, you see, there's a word for you today as well because that word is this. You're out in that harvest field. You're out there to be plucked from death, sin, and the grave. You're out there to be drawn into the kingdom by the power of God's Holy Spirit. You're out there and your life can be changed too. Folks, that's what we all need. We need the call of Christ upon our lives. We were singing there before this sermon, speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food and all the benefits of that feeding of God's holy, precious, inspired, infallible, incontrovertible word, a work, a witness, a word. This never changes. Christ never changes. We might change. Maybe you have less hair than you used to have. Maybe the butts don't work the way they used to work. This doesn't change. There's a work to do, folks. We need to get involved in it. There's a witness, and we can be witnesses when we know and love the Savior. And this word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This word, the same as it was in 2020, is the same all-powerful, all-majestic word for 2021 for you and for me. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all that you're doing, all that you have been, and all that you are. Father God, we pray that as we discern your word, as we read your word, as we digest your word, and then, Lord, as we disseminate your word in our families, in our homes, in our business, in our recreation, that we might know the power of it and that we might know the efficacy of it because that word is a word definitely in season and for season and for every season. So, Father God, speak to us today challenge us and encourage us. And we ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.